Again, it is good to be with you. I'm Silas, the, uh, one of the pastors here, and grateful for this space to be able to uh, connect with all of you. And just as, we, um, just as we did a moment of blessing here, we also, uh, towards the end of the service, will have more time to connect, more time to share with each other. We have snacks that we can uh, share and participate um, participate in giving to each other. And so in this moment, again, we'll continue the connection pieces. Um, We're looking forward to doing that. I am glad to see so many of you here. I've already said, but if it is your first time, welcome. If this is the first time in a long time, welcome. Uh, We're just grateful that you are here with us today. My, My dad, he always wanted to be a pastor. And he immigrated from Hong Kong to the West Coast. He immigrated to BC, Vancouver, Victoria area um, many years ago. And when he did that, he arrived kind of as an artist, as a business person, but he wanted always to go into ministry, to be a pastor. And he kept feeling this call in his life. So he was working in the art museum in Vancouver, doing uh, exhibits and running gallery stuff. And then slowly after time, he And his wife and his two kids, they found uh, a little section, a little town north of Victoria where they found the perfect church. It was small. It it had about 50 people in it. The town was small. And they were going to go there and um, start leading that congregation. And through wrestling with when do we do this? Do we go now? Do we go later? In time, it became clear that uh, my dad and um, his wife, they, they were ready. They're ready to move from doing art, from doing all these other things, to pastoring. And shortly, they decide, and then they're ready to move, and within a short period of time, um, my father and my two oldest brothers experienced tragedy, and in that, they're not able to, uh, to move as a family. Eventually, it is painful for them, and what they do do is they move to the East Coast because there was loss in their life. And so he gets to that side in the East Coast, he gets to Toronto, and he starts doing business, and um, he leaves his art behind. He doesn't pick up a paintbrush. He doesn't play any instruments. He just starts doing business. And he just starts flipping businesses. He's a serial entrepreneur. And he's doing this. He always felt like, I wanted to be a pastor. I'm not able to do that. It was too painful for him. And the thing is, like, as he's traveled in his businesses, in his journey all over the world, one of the things that's unique about him, if you knew him just for a couple moments, is that he's deeply pastoral. He's deeply pastoral. And at some point in his life, he has created space within my family to have me become a pastor. My twin brother is also a pastor in California. He's deeply pastoral. And you see, not everyone is called to be a pastor, but in our own unique ways, in all the places we live in the world, in all the ways we inhabit the world, to the best of our God-given abilities, we are called to be pastoral. We are called 
to embody a way of being, a posture of being that goes beyond the position of pastor. To be a person of faith is to live this posture, this pastoral posture. We are called to be pastoral. And as we point people to the good shepherd, as we do this work, this is a calling for all people who claim Christ as Lord. Our passage this morning comes from Acts 18. It's the first four verses. And it invites us to reflect on a similar kind of distinction, the distinction between pastor as position versus pastoral posture. The text invites us to look at another tension that's part of the Christian faith. So if you would, Acts 18, Paul has just returned from sharing the gospel in Athens, and this is from the message translation. It says, after Athens, Paul went to Corinth, and that is where he discovered Aquila, a Jew born in Pontus, and his wife, Priscilla. They had just arrived from Italy, part of the general expulsion of Jews from Rome, ordered by Claudius, that's the ruler of the time. And then Paul, he moved in with them. They worked together at their common trade of tent making. And every Sabbath, he was in the meeting place doing his best to convince both Jews and Greeks about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. This is our passage this morning. Tents are a curious term. They're a loaded term in the scriptures. Did you know that the first specific human-inhabited architectural structure that's described in the Bible is a tent? Genesis 4, it says that Jabal was the one who lived with people who lived in tents. So up till here, we have a garden described, we have cities described, but what's in the cities? How do the cities exist? The first structure we have in the scriptures is a tent. Which means that tent making, from the beginning of the scripture to the end, is a necessary skill. Yet the ramifications, the ways that tent making extends beyond ourselves, uh, it extends into a community. This makes a lot of difference. So as we follow the image of a tent all through the scriptures, we start to see that it's a place you live in, right? Genesis 4, people live in tents, people inhabit space together. But not only do we inhabit space together, as we track this journey, we start to see that the tabernacle, the temple, those aren't temples like we have temples today. Those are tents of meetings. Those are places of dwelling. And so that image of the tent through the history of Christianity, through the interpretation of the text in the Old Testament to the New Testament, those are places of dwelling, places of encounter, places to meet God. What's unique about a tent is it's transient. It can move. It's easy to pick up and put down. It can be relocated well. You can open the sides so the walls aren't fixed and people can come in and go as they please. You can set it up in different kinds of terrain. It doesn't have to all be level. You can set it up. Now, if you are a tent maker like myself, we, my, I grew up camping in RVs, so the tenting life doesn't connect <laughs> as well. But follow the analogy. You can set up in different places with different kinds of material. 
You can set up tents with a lot and make it glamping, so to speak. You could set up with very minimal things, and that's still a tent. And the spirituality that raised me, the Pentecostal spirituality, we used to have these things called tent meeting revivals. Put up a tent. The sides are open. It is hot. It's sweaty. Right? Uh, if you want to talk about being a part of nature, you're not in like the beauty of the woods. You're in sawdust and dirt and everything. But there's a grittiness to that kind of spirituality that invites us to recognize that all of this around us, the grittiness of this experience, it just points to how God is present even in the grittiness of our lives, in the messiness of our lives. I love how this passage talks about Paul, the tent maker. Now, one of the things about this image and this description we have for him is this word tent maker, it's called a hapex legomena. It's only one time in scripture. It only happens in this place. And so through the history of interpretation in the New Testament, through the Greek, you're, you're discerning what does this word really mean? And most English translations, I would say over 90% of the translations say tent maker. And they put it together. There is a school of thought that extends and says that he didn't literally make tents because as a man who is moving around and roving, he doesn't have like a shop that he goes to build tents in. Instead, what if this is pointing to the way that profession and posture are playing with each other? What if that's what the text is doing? Think about this. Paul, positionally, is a tent maker in his vocation. But Paul, as a tent maker in his posture, he interacts with the world in a particular way. If we look at his life, he makes tabernacles everywhere he goes. If we look at his life, he creates moments for encounter to happen everywhere he goes. As he journeys through all over the world, he creates space for people to encounter the full presence of God in the tabernacles that he inhabits, in the different ways that that looks. More than a skill to pay bills for himself, we're called, just like he was called, to create tabernacles, no matter where we are or where we go. See, we all inhabit the world in some form as tent makers, and this expresses in a variety of ways. You know, we might be teachers, we might be accountants, pastors, servers, students, scientists, engineers, musicians, artists. We might do things with our lives in sales. We might be an athlete. We might be a homemaker. We have all of these ways that we create space in our lives and create space for others. And yet, in this text, as it talks about him coming back from a missionary journey and recentering how he lives the rest of his journeys, he does this by making tabernacles. We inhabit the world as tent makers and as Christians in the different expressions that we live out. We're given an additional invitation and calling. We're called to be tabernacle makers. 
whether that literally means making tents or not. And here's what that looks like. Making tabernacles means that we're creating spaces to encounter God in our workplaces. Not just for ourselves, but for others. Making tabernacles means that we're creating spaces to encounter the living God while doing hobbies, while living well in those moments. Making tabernacles means creating spaces to encounter the living God amongst our families. And then extending out, what does the family of God really look like? Making tabernacles means creating spaces to encounter God in our religious spaces and in the spaces outside of these fixed walls. Through our last couple weeks, through the beginning of the new year, we have started a series and we are ending it today. It's been three weeks kind of looking at the fundamentals of why we gather. What makes life at Northeast tick? What do we want to have characterize our shared life together? What does that look like? And so we started with brunch, which, I mean, that makes sense. It's perfect. Because what we're doing in that space is hospitality. We want to be people of hospitality. We want to be people of sharing and receiving. We want to be people who embody the hospitable life of God. And in that embodiment, have that impact how that just doesn't work for or hosp hospitality to people I know well and receive well, who receive me well, but also pressing the boundaries of what that hospitality looks like when we meet people that we don't normally feel drawn to. Hospitality is an important thread of the gospel, and it's a thread we focus on here. Last week, we looked at the thread of invitation. And we looked at how before Northeast existed, inv inviting people to God, community, and wholeness, these are things that uh, we have centered our life on. Not just as a Northeast congregation, but as a full church in, in Bethany, Bethany Community Church. I actually did not know this, but this was voted on by council as a strategic foundational mission statement for who we are. We want to be people who are inviting people to God, community, and wholeness. And wholeness not just for ourselves, but that points back. It reads back on itself, back for community, and back for becoming whole with God. Hospitality and invitation, those are two threads that we want to hold well. The last thread that I want us to focus on today and these aren't the only ones, but these are foundational for who we are, is the foundation of incarnation. We want to be people who take the faith and we live it incarnationally. We want to embody it in our lives. If you've been in your bulletin and you're, you've been waiting with bated breath to fill in that fill in the blank, <laughs> I see, I see, I see it. Uh, fill it out. It's incarnation. And I only share that because... I actually forgot it this morning, um, and I had to call Abby and say, what did I say on Tuesday? Because <laughs> I can't remember the fill in the blank, and I didn't write it down. So if you forget, that's okay. Amazing Grace, we sang about it. 
Hospitality, invitation, incarnation. Hospitality, invitation, and incarnation. Incarnation is an act that kind of brings the hospitality of God and the invitation together. We've just celebrated Christmas where we talk about God joining God's self to humanity and earth in its own unique way, in its special time. In history, this happens. Incarnation is this bringing together of hospitality and invitation in ways that impact us within history, with real impact. And so as we live this well, one of the things I want us to do as an embodied practice of how we live our fundamentals of how we live into the history that has made this church possible, how we live into where this church aims to go by the grace of God. As I want us to participate today in this meal of communion, this meal of the great thanksgiving. And typically what we do is we have servers and you come up and you receive, and as you receive, you receive the grace of God. You receive the goodness of God. I want us to receive, but I also felt like in this moment, on this day, let us also be invitational in how we receive. So we will receive the hospitality from someone, but then I'm going to pass the plates to the different sections. And I would like you to serve your neighbor. Invite your neighbor to encounter God through this meal. When we celebrate this meal, we celebrate a variety of things. We celebrate that this is the table, and it's the table not just of the church, but it is of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God, and it is made for those who want to love God more. It's made for those who have tried to follow God and for those who have failed in the process. Still, God says, Come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here in a long time. Come anyways. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, both as guests and as hosts today, meet God in this meal. Be nourished in your spirit and grow in grace as we encounter God through each other. We do this because it is the Lord who invites us here. And it is God's will that anyone who wants to meet God will meet God. So when we celebrate this, this is a practice that roots us not just within ourselves, not within our congregation, but to a historic faith something that ties us back to the very life of Jesus himself. Embodying this practice and doing it in a way of sharing the cup, of holding hospitality and invitation together in incarnation. This is who we are. This is who we've been planted to be. So I'm going to pray over these elements and... Um, if your kids do arrive in after, I invite you to share the meal with them and receive from them. 
And so this will take a little bit more time than what we normally do. Again, we're not just going to cycle through and pull out. I'm going to start with some over here, start over here, and then over here. And I would like you in the process, once you receive, to hold on to your cup. And what we're going to do is partake together. And we'll consume together. We'll be nourished together. I do want to note that in here, uh, these are all the, the snack pack style for, um, for sanitation and all of that. Thought that was the wise move to do. But also, if you need a gluten-free cracker, we have them in these bags here. Um, the cracker that's part of the cup is not gluten-free. Uh, but this is pretty much every allergen in the world free. So I think you're good to go. Um, <laughs> we'll be set. Let me pray over this food and let me pray over this meal. And then I will invite us uh, to share. And as I prayed, I'll invite the band up to join me. God, we are grateful for the gift of this day. We are grateful for the way that you invite us to encounter you. For the way that you hospitably wrap us into your life. Thank you for who you are. We also are grateful for your invitation, your invitation to participate in making heaven a reality on earth that makes a difference in this world. We thank you. God, we thank you for the way that you have modeled how to hold these things together, hospitality and invitation in one. You did that by giving us your body, by giving us your essence, by embodying presence in the world. And in this meal, we pray that we would experience that embodiment. And as we receive it and as we share it, we would also share that embodiment. Make us people of hospitality. Make us people of invitation. And make us people who incarnate you well. We pray this with Christ by the power of the Spirit. And everyone said, amen.